Leviticus chapter 3. Now, if his offering is a sacrifice of peace offerings, if he is going to offer out of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without defect before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and slay it at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall sprinkle the blood around on the altar. From the sacrifice of the peace offerings, he shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails. And the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins. And the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. Then Aaron's son shall offer it up in smoke on the altar, on the burnt offering, which is on the wood that is on the fire. It is an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. But if his offering for a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord is from the flock, he shall offer it male or female without defect. If he is going to offer a lamb for his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and slay it before the tent of meeting. And Aaron's son shall sprinkle its blood around on the altar. From the sacrifice of peace offerings, he shall bring it, pardon me, he shall bring as an offering by fire to the Lord its fat, the entire fat tail which he shall remove close to the backbone, and the fat that covers the entrails, and all the fat that is on the entrails. And the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. Then the priest shall offer it up in smoke on the altar as food, an offering by fire to the Lord. Moreover, if his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on its head and slay it before the tent of meeting and the sons of Aaron shall sprinkle its blood around on the altar. From it, he shall present his offering as an offering by fire to the Lord, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them, which is on the loins and the lobe of the liver, which he shall remove with the kidneys. The priest shall offer them up in smoke on the altar as food an offering by fire for a soothing aroma, all fat is the Lord's. It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations in all your dwellings. You shall not eat any fat or any blood. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we bow again before you, coming to one who is all perfection, all holy, dwelling in an approachable light. And yet, God, you have bid us to come near by way of Christ Jesus and his sacrifice. God, we thank you for the perfection of his sacrifice, the, the merit of it, that it was valuable enough to, to cover the sins of all your people and to, uh, to, to completely satisfy your wrath on their behalf. We're grateful, Father, that as we look at these various sacrifices and as they portray different aspects of what Christ accomplished, His death did accomplish it and there's not anything more to be done. 
There are not more sacrifices to be made. There's not anything that we can add to his work or that anyone else, himself included, could add to the sacrifices he's made. He has sat down, his work completed. And so, Father, we praise you for such a one as he is. We thank you, Father, that in grace you have provided that and you have called us to yourself to be recipients of this grace and of this salvation. So God, we want to express the gratitude of our hearts. We want to worship you. God, we want to also give you more than words or good intentions. God, we pray that you would capture all of us. And God, by your grace, that you would Help us by your spirit to put to death the deeds of the body and to bring the thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. God, we pray that you would not allow us to be satisfied with with any areas roped off from you or any thoughts that we kind of rope off and, and insulate and think that those are okay to be outside of captivity to Christ. God, we don't want to deceive ourselves in any way or to uh, belittle Christ's work and the sanctification that you've promised. Lord, we pray that as you have given us so much, as you've bought us with such a great price, that we would be all yours. God, we... Ask that you would come and rule over us, reign over us. And that we would be a people who are happy to exist under your reign. God, we don't want to give you a grudging obedience. We don't want to, to kind of be drug along kicking and screaming. But God, we pray that you would find in us a glad hearted obedience that Here's what you say and says, yes, that's what I want. God, bring us to the place where that is what we want. God, as we look into your word again tonight and we see another aspect of, uh, of Christ's work, as we see this particular sacrifice that Leviticus 3 describes, we pray that you would again come and teach us and help us, God, to, to worship you in what we see here. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're looking this week at the peace offering. Leviticus chapter 1 through 7 gives directions for five different offerings or sacrifices. When we use the word sacrifice, we often mean something that we're giving up that's valuable for the consideration of someone else. So, an example might be, you know, if you've saved up money for a vacation or you've saved up money for Christmas and your friend's house burns down and they lose everything. And so you give up your vacation or you give up, you know, Christmas to help your friend. That was a sacrifice. It cost you something. And we might use the word sacrifice like that. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for sacrifice is a word that's related to the altar and it's the word that is normally used for the slaughter of an animal. That's a sacrifice. It's slaughter. 
I slaughtered the animal. I sacrificed it. Same word. Applied to this offering and bringing it to the altar, then it is it takes on the dimension of sacrifice. Leviticus chapter 3 verse 1 is the first place that the word sacrifice appears in Leviticus. So we've already looked at two offerings, the burnt offering and the grain offering. Verse 1 says, Now if his offering is a sacrifice of peace offerings, and then it goes on to describe it, but it's, it's a sacrifice of peace offerings. In a number of places in Scripture, the word sacrifice is linked to another word to describe the the particular sacrifice that's being made. So, for instance, in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 27, the Bible speaks of a Passover sacrifice to the Lord. A sacrifice, a particular sacrifice, the Passover sacrifice. Or in 1 Samuel 1.21, Elkanah, who is Hannah's husband, um, Eli's father, not Eli's, Samuel's father, he went up with all his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. So a particular sacrifice. When the word appears by itself, or in phrases like burnt offerings and sacrifices, it almost always refers to the peace offering. We see an instance of this in Exodus 18.12. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. He took a burnt offering. He took peace offerings. So these peace offerings, these sacrifices, that's what we're looking at tonight. Um, In all instances, it appears, when the word sacrifice appears, whether by itself burnt offerings and sacrifices, or in conjunction with another word like Passover sacrifice, it appears the word always refers to an offering or a sacrifice that the worshiper also participates in eating. So the burnt offering is a sacrifice in the sense that an animal was slaughtered, but you didn't eat part of it. The whole thing is consumed on the altar. But the peace offering, which is an animal sacrifice or an animal offering, the worshiper participated in the meal that followed. And so the Bible uses the word sacrifice, it appears, in conjunction with an offering that, that you eat. So we looked at the burnt offering in chapter 1. Again, no one ate that offering. It was completely consumed on the fire except for the skin. The grain offering... A memorial portion was placed on the burnt offering and burnt along with it. But then the remainder of it was given to the priest. It was part of the priest's sustenance is how he was provided for. And then we have the peace offering. So let's look at some of the distinctives of it first. And uh, uh, we've kind of already started on that, but we'll look at a few more. One thing that is distinctive about it is that it appears to be, uh, of the ones we've looked at so far, the most, the one we can describe most as a free will offering. Well, um, this offering is as, 
as is the, uh, the, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the peace offering, they're all voluntary sacrifices in the sense that you can bring one any time. Um, chapter 1 and verse 2 says, when any man of you brings an offering, without specifying an occasion, when you bring it, and the same thing of the grain offering, and, and this offering can be brought whenever, but the burnt offering and the peace offering were often linked with, with festivals, with Sabbath days. And every morning, the, uh, the priest offered a burnt offering and a peace offering. And every night, a burnt offering and a peace offering for the nation. And so, there's daily burnt offerings. And I said peace, I mean grain. Burnt offerings and grain offerings. Daily, morning and night. And around these festival days... There are both of these offerings being made by the priest on behalf of the people. Or you may be told to bring this in conjunction with a feast day. But the peace offering, the only time that you're ever told you need to bring a peace offering is in conjunction with, with Pentecost or with the Feast of Weeks. During that particular feast, you are told to bring a peace offering. But it's the only one. In Leviticus 23 verses 18 and 19, describing the Feast of Weeks, and the sacrifice that comes with it. It says, along with the bread, you shall present seven one-year-old lambs without defect, and a bull of the herd and two rams. They are to be a burnt offering to the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings, an offering by fire of a soothing aroma to the Lord. You shall also offer one male goat for a sin offering and two male lambs, one-year-old, for a sacrifice of peace offerings. But otherwise... It's completely a free will offering just as the Lord moves you to bring it. And we'll talk a bit about that, uh, more about that later. Um, chapter 3 of Leviticus emphasizes what the worshiper is to bring and the activity of the priest. And I don't know if you noticed as we read through it, a lot of repetition. The repetition, though, would make it easier for the priest to remember and for the, the people to remember. Uh, you may not be able to stand there you know, with a, a pocket manual in hand and say, okay, what's the procedure? So, repetition. Animals could be brought from the herd of cattle or from the flock of sheep or goats. Unlike the burnt offering, birds were not accepted. So you remember if you were too poor to bring the other animals for the burnt offering, you could bring a pigeon or a turtle dove. Here, the birds were not accepted. And I think probably the reason for that is because of the, the fellowship nature of this offering. There's going to be a meal. There's going to be a feast. And you're going to eat it with your family. The priest has a portion. And you maybe invite your neighbors. And if you're bringing a pigeon, that's not going to happen. Like the burnt offering, the animal had to be without blemish. You see this in verse 1 and in verse 6. However, unlike the burnt offering, the animal could be either male or female. When the person would bring this animal, he would put his hand on the head of the animal, like the burnt offering, identifying with the animal, recognizing that it serves as a substitute. This animal is going to die in my place. And the idea of substitution is one that is seen often in the Old Testament. Of course, it, is, uh, it takes its fullest expression in Christ's substitution for His people. 
But take a moment, if you would, and turn over a few pages to Numbers chapter 8. This is not... Um, more on the peace offering per se, but more on the idea of substitution. Numbers chapter 8, verse 10. This was instruction for the cleansing of the Levites as they prepared to, to go into service. And verse 10 says, Present the Levites before the Lord, and the sons of Israel shall lay their hands on the Levites. Aaron then shall present the Levites before the Lord as a wave offering from the sons of Israel, that they may qualify to perform the service of the Lord. Now the Levites shall lay their hands on the heads of the bulls. Then offer the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering to the Lord to make atonement for the Levites. You shall have the Levites stand before Aaron and before his sons so as to present them as a wave offering to the Lord. Thus you shall separate the Levites from among the sons of Israel and the Levites shall be mine. God speaking, they're mine. Then after that, the Levites may go in to serve the tent of meeting, but you shall cleanse them and present them as a wave offering, for they are wholly given to me from among the sons of Israel. I have taken them for myself instead of every first issue of the womb, the firstborn of all the sons of Israel. For every firstborn among the sons of Israel is mine, among the men and among the animals. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them for myself. But I have taken the Levites instead of every firstborn among the sons of Israel. At the Passover, when so many Egyptians died, those firstborn of Egyptians, but the Israelites are redeemed, saved. God says, the firstborn are mine. I've sanctified them to myself, but now he provides a substitute. I'm going to take the Levites, that tribe, to perform this service for me instead of the firstborn. And in the, the kind of the transference, if you will, of, of the Levite becoming the substitute for the firstborn, the sons of Israel come and they put their hands on the heads of the Levites. They're recognizing the fact that you know, there's an identification with this person. They're becoming a substitute for me in the service of the Lord in the temple. They put their hand on the head of the animal, recognizing this animal is going to the altar instead of me. It's dying instead of me. And so it is a portrayal of this, this substitution Not only a picture of substitution, but also of atonement. As the blood of the animal is sprinkled around the altar. Leviticus 17.11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. Atonement is... Is connected to the blood. And this blood is being sprinkled around the altar. It's a picture of 
This life being given for a purpose is not without reason. It's not just life taken for no reason. But in substitution, it's become, become an atoning sacrifice that, that appeases the wrath of God on behalf of the person that it's representing. And of course, in that as well, it foreshadows Christ's atonement. He is the priest who is also the sacrificial lamb with no moral blemish, whose substitutionary atoning death is effective for all guilty sinners who identify with him. Do you identify with him? This, the burnt offering in chapter 1 is distinct in that the entire animal is consumed on the altar, as I mentioned. The peace offering, though, is very different from the burnt offering in this way. In the peace offering, it's only the fat around the innards and the kidneys, the lobe of the liver that are burned on the altar. In taking those, the, the fat represented the best of the animal. And the kidneys, the, the life of the animal, the, the, it's the seat of the emotions, kind of the center of the being. We would call it the heart. We'll talk more about that in a bit. But this procedure was the same whether it was cattle, sheep, or goats. With one exception. In chapter 3 and verse 9, you'll notice it mentions, as it's talking about the sheep... That along with the, the same parts that you would take from the, the cow or from the goat, with the sheep, you take this fat tail and you remove it close to the backbone. The um, sheep of that region have a very broad tail. You might think of like a beaver's tail. It doesn't look just like a beaver's tail, but you can think of how broad and you know, heavy a beaver's tail might be. I've read that these tails could be 40 to 50 pounds. And a lot of that was fat. And so God is, as he's calling for the fat of the animal, he specifies this sheep has a fat tail on it. And I want that also. So that's why the calling that out, that tail instead of the cow's tail or the goat's tail. So the kidneys and the fat are burnt on the altar. But notice in verse 11. Then the priest shall offer it up in smoke on the altar as food. An offering by fire to the Lord. We see it again in verse 16. The priest shall offer them up in smoke on the altar as food. Some people have tried to say that the Israelites got the idea for this offering from the pagan nations around them because... Uh, the pagan nations around them often identified uh, their, their idols as needing to be sustained by physical nourishment. We bring food to them to sustain them, with, to keep them going. And, um, of course, that's not at all how the true and living God operates. He doesn't need food. He doesn't need anything or anybody. And so they're not bringing food for the altar to try to keep God alive. God himself makes it clear in Psalm 50, verses 9 through 15. I shall take no young bull out of your house, nor male goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains, and everything that moves in the field is mine. 
If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all it contains. Shall I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of male goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor me. He doesn't need to be sustained by their sacrifices. So that's not the point here in calling it food. What then is the point? Well, it's food to remind the people, I believe, that their offering to God is being taken from what they need to sustain life. They're dependent upon Him. And what they have, He's given to them. And they're bringing back a portion of, of what He's given to them. And from their very sustenance, that, that, you know, the life-giving food that they have, they come and they present it to God. What happens to the rest of that animal? Well, we're not told in Leviticus chapter 3, but Leviticus chapter 6 and 7 pick up these same sacrifices or offerings again and describe in a in different detail what the priests are supposed to do. So kind of from a different angle, the same sacrifices. In chapter 7, verse we're not going to read all these right now, but uh, in Leviticus 7, verses 28 and following, we're told that from this peace offering, after the fat and the kidneys have been offered on the fire to God, that the priest receive the breast of the animal and the right thigh of the animal. And that is, again, for their sustenance. Here's how God has provided for them. You bring a bull to be sacrificed... It's given to God. The entire bull is given to God. It's His. A portion of it is burnt to Him as He demands the fat, the liver, the lobe of the liver, the kidney. And then a portion of it is given to the priest. Verses 15 through 21 explains that the rest of it is to be given back to the worshiper. So now it's given to God. It's been dedicated to Him entirely. And He gives it back to the worshiper and it's then to be eaten with the family and invited guest of the worshiper so kind of a celebration this meal becomes an occasion for great joy and thanksgiving before the lord it's, it's a feast god has blessed this person and here's a, a great amount of food that you wouldn't have on a normal day i don't think you know you kill a, a cow every day to eat there's so much food. There's no refrigeration. And so they're told, you eat it today. And depending on what kind of peace offering it was, if, it didn't, if you didn't finish it today, too bad. Or you could eat it the second day. But nobody eats it the third day. And chapter 7, verses 11 and following describe all this. If it goes to the third day and you eat it, then what was a soothing aroma to the Lord now becomes a stench to the Lord. You're cut off. It was acceptable. You were acceptable. But now you're not because you just ate what he told you not to. He gave that to you and, and you didn't follow the directions. You really weren't paying attention. So here's the Lord giving back to you the major portion of what you've brought and given to him. And he invites the worshiper to come and eat with him as it were. The priest really is eating. 
And he represents the Lord in this matter. And then you come along and you eat also. And there's a shared meal. And it is a celebration. It's not, you know, a somber occasion, I don't believe. It, it's a rejoicing time because you, you've brought this offering out of gratitude, the gratitude of your heart to the Lord. And it's a feast to share with those around you. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 5 and following. Verse 5 says, But you shall seek the Lord at the place which the Lord your God will choose from all your tribes. Remember, there at this time, there's still, I guess they're still at Sinai. They're getting ready to leave Sinai. Or I guess by this time they've left Sinai. And they're wandering. But they haven't arrived in the promised land yet. The Lord will eventually bring them to the promised land and a place will be chosen and eventually a temple will be built. But right now they're still wandering. So when you get there to the place which the Lord your God will choose from all your tribes to establish His name there for His dwelling, and there you shall come. There you shall bring your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the contribution of your hand, your votive offerings, your free will offerings. These are peace offerings, by the way. The firstborn of your herd and of your flock. There also you and your household shall eat before the Lord your God. And do what? Rejoice in all your undertakings in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall not do at all what we are doing here today. Every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For you have not as yet come to the resting place and the inheritance which the Lord your God is giving you. When you cross the Jordan... And live in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit. And He gives you rest from all your enemies around you so that you live in security. Then it shall come about that the place in which the Lord your God will choose for His name to dwell. There you shall bring all that I command you. Your burnt offerings and your sacrifices. What are sacrifices by themselves? Peace offerings. your tithes, the contribution of your hand, all of your choice votive offerings, which you will vow to the Lord. Verse 12, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levite who is within your gates, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. Now, I think the picture here is of all these people gathering together in this peace offering celebration, and they're eating this shared meal together. And so it is a festive time shared um, with each other and with the Lord. Well, what are the occasions for this sacrifice of peace as chapter one, uh, chapter 3 verse 1 speaks of it, a sacrifice of peace? What are the occasions for it? I've already mentioned that it's not tied to any specific thing other than the Feast of Weeks. But for every... For the average person, not the priest, but for the congregation of people, it is something you bring when you will. It is a free will offering. So what kind of occasions would perhaps move a person to 
bring this kind of sacrifice? Well, it is called a sacrifice of peace. And we might think of peace, um, you know, in not biblical terms, but just kind of absence of conflict kind of peace. Or even if we think of a sacrifice of peace, we might think of trying to, to give something to get peace. I've lost peace, you know. I'm, I'm fighting with somebody and I bring a, a peace offering. And the whole idea is like, I'm trying to fix this because I've broken it. And that's not the picture here at all. The idea here is peace has been secured. And because it's been secured, I praise God. I come with a heart full of gratitude to the God who's already provided the peace that I couldn't provide. And so the peace is, is shalom. The, the offering, the peace offering is, is a form of the word shalom. And it means much more than just peace. But really everything that would kind of go with that, it's, it's a wholeness, it's a, a well-being. It, it's, um, it is the absence of conflict, but it's everything that you would have because God has provided you peace. It's the condition that results from being right with God. And that condition is peace. And here is a meal shared with God. Atonement has been made and accepted. God has been satisfied. And now there's peace. And in that peace, there's fellowship with God and with others. The grain offering, we might think of as a, a thanksgiving to God for His bounty in a, a general way. The peace offering was usually linked to specific incidents of blessing. So whatever might move you in gratitude to God... It is the only offering in which both the priest and the worshiper share the meal, signifying the fellowship of God and His people. Leviticus chapter 7 mentions three kinds of peace offerings. In verses 11 and 12 of Leviticus 7, verse 11 says, Now this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which shall be presented to the Lord. If he offers it by way of thanksgiving. And then there's explanation. But the first kind that Leviticus 7 mentions. Is a peace offering of thanksgiving. This was often a sacrifice offered in response to answered prayer. We prayed. God answered our prayer. And now we want to respond with gratitude. We want to show to God how much we love Him. We want to worship Him with a heart that's full. Peace that reigns because God has answered our prayer. There is an example of this, I believe, in Second Chronicles chapter 29. Second Chronicles 29, the people have returned to the land and the uh, 
there's a restoration of, of worship at the temple. Second Chronicles 29, verse 31. Then Hezekiah said, Now that you have consecrated yourselves to the Lord, come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. And the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings. And all those who were willing brought burnt offerings. Well, the worship of the temple has been restored. God's answered their prayers. It's a time of thanksgiving. It's a time to express to the Lord how grateful they are for what He's done. You can imagine them being moved to want to bring these sacrifices and um, to ex express their love to God. There's another in chapter 33 of 2 Chronicles. Second Chronicles 33, beginning in verse 10. Manasseh has misled Judah. He's wicked. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. Therefore, the Lord brought the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria against them. And they captured Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze chains, and took him to Babylon. When he was in distress, he entreated the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. When he prayed to him, he was moved by his entreaty and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Now, after he built the outer wall of the city of David on the west side of Gihon in the valley, even to the entrance of the fish gate, and he encircled the Ophel with it and made it very high. Then he put army commanders in all the fortified cities of Judah. He removed the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord, as well as the altars which he had built on the mountain of the house of the Lord. And in Jerusalem, and he threw them outside the city. He set up the altar of the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it. And he ordered Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. God leads him away into captivity because of his wickedness. He prays to God. God hears him, brings him back. He offers peace offerings, thanksgiving offerings to the Lord. Leviticus chapter 7 verse 16 mentions a second kind of peace offering. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a votive offering... A votive offering is an offering that's linked to a vow. So if you've made a vow to the Lord and He has enabled you to keep that vow, then you thank God and you would bring an offering that's a votive offering. It's still a peace offering, but it's tied to the fulfillment of that vow. There are a few references to this. I'll mention just a couple from the Psalms. Psalm 66, 13 the psalmist says, I shall come into your house with burnt offerings. I shall pay you my vows. How do you pay your vows? Well, it's this votive offering. Or in Psalm 116, verse 14, I shall pay my vows to the Lord. 
Oh, may it be in the presence of all His people. One other, in the book of Jonah, after Jonah has been cast overboard and is followed by the great fish, he begins to pray. And there in Jonah chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, he says, I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. He cries out to God. God has heard him. I will pay you my vows. There's a third, and it's also mentioned in verse 16 of Leviticus 7, and it is a free will offering. And it seems to be a just because. <laughs> Why do you give it? Because God's been so good. I just, I want to express my gratitude. He's so good. And so you're not pointing to an answered prayer or a vow. It's just God is good. I want to express that. As you celebrated with this peace offering, again, you naturally invited others to celebrate the goodness of God with you. In fact, in verses 15 through 18 of Leviticus 7, it, it speaks there about how you, you can't leave the food over until the next morning or if it is the, the votive or the free will offering to the second day, but the third day, then you better burn it. You don't eat it. Why do you think you have to eat this entire animal in a day or two? There may be other reasons, but one might have been a prompt to be generous. It's got to be consumed. Here's a whole bull or cow. It's got to be consumed today or tomorrow at the latest. And so you bring people and you invite them. And it is an encouragement to be generous That encouragement continues into the New Testament. Hebrews 13, 16 says, And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Well, those are the three occasions that the Bible mentions that would prompt a person to bring this peace offering. Let me make some application before we close. I mean, what is the point of this offering versus another offering? And, and why all these different kinds of offerings or sacrifices? And, uh, I mentioned earlier, you know, they, they all portray an aspect of what Christ has accomplished. But one wouldn't have completely portrayed it. And so multiple different kinds of sacrifices are, are given to show from different angles what God has done in Christ Jesus. But what's the point of this particular offering? Well, one, it does recognize the peace that the believer enjoys with God. It is a peace offering. And the whole idea is that I live in a state of shalom. I live in a state of well-being because of what Christ has done. Atonement has occurred. Sins have been put away. And because of that, reconciliation is possible. And I live with an awareness of the forgiveness of God. And I'm at peace with Him. And I want to express that. And my gratitude for that. As God received the burnt portion of that, and it is, it is a soothing aroma to Him, and as the priest eat their portion, and as you and your friends gathered around to eat the other portion, there was a recognition, in a sense, by all parties that atonement has taken place, and God's wrath has been satisfied. God is satisfied. So you should be satisfied. 
There's reason to rejoice. God's not angry with you any longer. It also recognized the fellowship that the believer enjoys with God because of the peace that has been made possible. God has brought you into a state of peace that did not exist before. And in that state, you now have fellowship with a God that before you could not have fellowship with. And the shared meal pointed to this reality that there's a, a, a covenant loyalty between the members that are, that are partaking of this and there is, you know, there's fellowship. When we gather together like next Sunday night for a fellowship time, there's a meal. The meal's not all of it. There's more going on than just eating together, but it is also interesting, isn't it? Whenever we get together to have fellowship, there's usually a, some kind of food involved. We sit down around food and a table, but also around the Lord Jesus. And we fellowship in Christian brotherhood, sisterhood. We fellowship in the Lord Jesus. We see this idea expressed back in Genesis 31 before these, these regulations were given to the people of Israel. Genesis chapter 31, verses 51 through 54. Jacob has gotten tired of serving, serving Laban. He's worked for so many years now for Laban. He's been cheated numerous times. And it's apparent that you know Jacob is pretty sure Laban's been cheating him. But Laban thinks that Jacob has also been cheating him. And so there's this disagreement between them. Jacob doesn't really leave in the right way. He didn't leave home in the right way. He's not leaving Laban in the right way. He picks up in the night you know, and runs. And Laban chases after him and now they've, they've talked in verse 51 of Genesis 31 Laban said to Jacob behold this heap and behold the pillar which I have set between you and me this heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass by this heap to, to do you harm or to you for harm and you will not pass by this heap and this pillar to me for harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Then Jacob offered a sacrifice on the mountain and called his kinsmen to the meal. And they ate the meal and spent the night on the mountain. What kind of meal do you think that probably was following this sacrifice? I believe it was a peace offering. And all these people gather around and they eat the meal together, signifying the peace that now exists between them. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want peace. He prepares what? A table for me in the presence of my enemies. He invites us to his table for a meal. He provides for us in a place of peace. 
In 1 John chapter 1, the Apostle John writes in verse 3, What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. This isn't just Old Testament. It's, it's now. We have a fellowship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, because of what Christ has accomplished. And that exists in a state of peace that He Himself has provided. He Himself has become our peace. What would you say is a visible expression of this fellowship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, that we enjoy in the New Covenant? Well, the Lord's Supper. It's not an exact uh, you know, parallel with, with the, the peace offering. There, there's no sacrifice in this. We're not offering a sacrifice in the Lord's Supper, but we are recognizing a sacrifice that's been made that's provided the peace that we enjoy. And around that, we have fellowship with God. Every obstacle to fellowship between God and His people have been, has been removed in Christ Jesus. And we come and we take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Third, I think that this offering points to wholehearted worship. You don't have to bring this offering. When you sin against somebody or against the Lord, here's an offering you bring. Here's the way to be made whole. Here's the way to, to come back before Him. This offering though, this is a free will offering. It's one you offer because you want to offer it. When you bring it, you got to want to bring it. But also the very fact that the parts that are taken from the animal and burnt on the altar is the fat, which is considered the best part of the animal, and the kidneys. And I mentioned that the kidneys would relate to what we would consider as the heart. It's the, the heart of, you know, the center of the emotions. Many of the places... In your Old Testament, where the Bible reads heart in our English translations, the Hebrew word is kidneys. Let me give you an example. In Job chapter 19, Job chapter 19, verse 25. Job is speaking, and he says in verse 25, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last He will take His stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God. Verse 27 whom I myself shall behold and whom my eyes will see and not another. My heart faints within me. My heart faints. He, he considers my Redeemer lives in this flesh. I will behold Him. My heart faints. Well, 
It's the word for kidneys. My kidneys faint. The kidneys were burnt on the altar representing an offering of the best and the deepest emotions toward God. Remember in 2 Chronicles, as Hezekiah restores the worship of the temple and the people bring those offerings, do you think that they are emotionally involved? Do you think that that their emotions are are, are, stirred toward the Lord as as the sacrifices are restored and, and the worship is restored? It's been out of service for so long. Or do you think that you know, they're just going through the motions? Yeah, we're supposed to bring these offerings. Here's this animal. And they're involved. They're engaged. This, this peace, this communion with God is representative of what Jesus offered the Father when He offered His soul as a peace offering. When He became our peace, He gave God Every deep affection, every deep emotion, all that love could feel, all was presented by Him to the Father. And now we, as those who have been reconciled by His blood, are to pour out our feelings to the Lord as well. We're we're not to be dry and empty, emotionally uninvolved. Sometimes you see a marriage that's broken. And what you really have is two people who live in a house together, but they're not emotionally engaged. You know what I mean? It's not right. It's not what it's supposed to be. Are you... In your relationship with God, like that kind of marriage. So you're in this relationship, but it's broken. There's something not quite right. And the problem, we have to admit, is not on God's side. But you're not emotionally engaged. You're dry. You wouldn't be bringing a peace offering. Or if you did, you would disgrace the peace offering. We want to be careful not to trifle with the Lord to receive, as it were, the burnt offering, atonement. Forgiveness of sins, reconciliation, a state of peace, and then be withdrawn from the Lord and not give ourselves to Him wholly and completely. One other way that we could kind of trifle with the Lord in this, and we want to be aware. Um, Turn please to Proverbs chapter 7.
Proverbs 7. Here's a description of this woman in the street. And verse 13 says that she seizes him and kisses him and with a brazen face she says to him, listen, I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I've paid my vows. I've, I've paid my vows. I'm good with God. Therefore I have come out to meet you to seek your presence earnestly and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings with colored linens of Egypt. And in uh, verse 21, with her many persuasions, she entices him with her flattering lips. She seduces him. And, and I won't read the rest of that, but the picture is, is pretty clear in it. I have paid my vows. I've, I've made my peace offerings with the knowledge that I'm leaving the temple to go into the street and sin. I, I, you know, it's, it's almost the idea of God will forgive me. I'm going ahead. Straight ahead. It's presumptuous. It's bold. It's, it's depraved. But we want to be careful that we're not like that. Maybe not the exact same sins, but we don't come before God and worship Him and rejoice in the fact we're reconciled to God and walk out the door with sin already on our heart and mind. I've paid my vows. I've done my due. I've tipped my hat to God. Everything's all right. What an affront. What an affront to God. No, the peace offering praises God for His goodness. But surely, then, from that full heart, you want to live when you leave the temple, when you leave you know, the gathering of the saints, when you leave and go into the world to live unto Him. Well, we'll close with a hymn. 630. 630. O Lord, I would delight in Thee and on Thy care depend. To thee in every trouble flee, my best, my only friend. Stand again, please. 630. Before we go, Jeff um, Frederick asked that we pray for his sister. Her arm is infected and she's possibly going to have to have it amputated. And it's bad enough. It's pretty bad, right? What's her name, Jeff? Deidre. Um, of course, there's lots of other needs within the body and outside. So let's do take a moment and pray. Father, we are grateful that there is such a rich supply in you and that we have great hope and great confidence in you. And God, we are grateful that we can come to you with our cares and concerns and leave them at your feet, casting them upon you, knowing that you care for us. Father, we do pray for Deidre and ask that you would give her much grace and the doctors as they attend to her. 
And God, we pray for her physical well-being. We pray for her spiritual well-being. We pray, God, that you would be near and that she would know you intimately and, and that you would sustain her. God, we pray for the many other needs that are represented here. Some that we know of, God, I'm sure many that we don't. But God, you know them and we ask that you would be our ever-present help. God, we pray that um, for all who are in Christ Jesus, that they would find you to be a rock and a refuge and that your nearness would be their good. God, help them, sustain them. God, for those who do not know you, while we do pray, God, that, that you would help them, the chief help, God, that we would ask for is that you would open their eyes to see you and that you would bring them to yourself. God, capture them with cords of love and draw them to yourself. Turn their hearts to see you and to love Christ and to want him above all else. And God, we pray that that would be true of all of us. You have at some point shown us Christ to be the pearl of great price. We pray that our hearts would remain convinced of that reality. And we would live in light of that reality. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good night.